are in a series, The Gospel According to John, which is the fourth gospel. It's, um, it's that one that when you're telling someone about the Bible, you say, read the gospel of John, because it's just this beautiful, eloquent, and rich and deep telling of our Savior, um, Jesus Christ, and his life, the way he came in the fullness of God, the way he lived his life perfectly, and there at the end it has his, the record of his death and ultimately his resurrection. It's the full storyline of the Christian faith, and it's told in this really beautiful way. So last week we looked at the prologue, which is the introduction. And the prologue really prepares us for what's to come. And as I said last week, the prologue is just everything about the identity of who Jesus is. It actually, the prologue leaves very little for us to question about Jesus' identity. But today we're going to shift into the story, the story of the gospel, which is really, um, in, in many ways, the way to sort of enter in and to enjoy it, the telling of the story. And today our focus is um, John the Baptist. He's often called the forerunner. And because we're, we're not going verse by verse, but we're going chapter by chapter for the next several weeks. And um, so for that reason, we're going to look at the way that um, the gospel writer John, who was the apostle John or the disciple John, who was very close to Jesus, he begins his story with John the Baptist, who is a different person. John the Baptist or the forerunner of Christ. Forerunner means the herald or the one that announces or proclaims um, the coming Messiah. There's a watch called the forerunner, which I thought was clever. It's uh, you know, one of those watches that keeps tabs on all your um, attributes of your body as you're running. It's called the forerunner, which I thought, that's clever. Good, good on them for coming up with a good name for a running watch. Not that I need one of those, but, um, but nonetheless, this, this story begins with the forerunner, of John the Baptist. So you can turn to John chapter 1. We are going to be um, in verses 19 through 34. And we're going to be looking at um, the life of John the Baptist. I mentioned is also called the forerunner. And we'll see in this story that there's a lot of questions about who John the Baptist is and what his identity is. In fact, in, in John chapter 1 earlier, in verse 5, it says, Oh, there was a man from God, his name was John, was referring to John the Baptist. He was a witness to the light. He was not the light, he was only a witness to the light. So he's already been introduced into the story. But uh, when, when John the Apostle begins his story, the storyline telling of Jesus' life, This is the way he begins. So we'll begin in chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they asked him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? 
He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among, among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water water, said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So those verses right there, they they bookend the testimony, the witness of John the Baptist about the Christ, the Messiah. And they begin by asking, who are you? And so there's there's these um, people that come from Jerusalem, Jewish folk, and really everyone is Jewish at this point in the storyline. So the the Jews that were in leadership um, in Jerusalem the Levites and the priests, who were the ones at that time uh, protecting the law and the prophets, and they had really the most insight onto who the Messiah actually would be. It was this group that came uh, to question Jesus. Now, it's important to note, I think it's important to note, that um, there were many people who actually got baptized by John, and we'll talk about that in a second. And many of them were likely Jewish. So it's the leadership who is coming, the leadership of the church at the time, of the faith of the time. It's the leadership who is coming to ask about John the Baptist. Who are you? And there's lots of reasons behind this, and we're going to actually go through kind of go through their questions and why they would ask this. Because it, it ultimately points to some mystery that surrounds John the Baptist and his identity, but it actually makes the point, uh, ultimately, that John the Baptist is trying to make, which he's pointing to Christ, the Messiah. In fact, as, as I was reading that, probably like me, you were, you were wondering, this sounds repetitive. It sounds obvious. Okay, he just said that. He said it again. He just said that he's not the Christ. Of course. And yet later on, even after John the Baptist's um, death, when Jesus was doing his ministry, some wondered, is this John the Baptist that's, that's uh, come back to life? He had created such a commotion in the region. It says that people from Jerusalem, all of Judea, the whole surrounding area were coming out to the wilderness to be baptized by John the Baptist. 
That's, where, that's how he got his name, the baptizer. He, would, he was offering something to the people um, as they were coming and being awakened to this coming Messiah. So the, the Levites, who were the priestly um, lineage of the Jewish people, the, the Levitical priests came, and they asked him uh, who he was. And first, they say, who are you? And he says, I'm not the Christ. So that's funny. Who are you? I'm not the Christ. John's identity is, is really um, built upon the fact that he's not the Christ. Who are you? I confess. I am I'm not the Christ. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not the Christ. So either they were kind of hinting at that, that they were thinking he might be the Christ, the Messiah, or he uh, was really so um, focused on the fact that he was not the Christ that whenever anyone asked who he was, that was his first response. So they say, okay, you're not the Messiah, because we also know that there were people during that time that were claiming to be the Messiah. Okay, so this is a good question. We shouldn't beat up the Levites and the priests too badly for the fact that they're asking, who are you? Because he's doing a powerful work. And then they say, um, okay, if, if you're not the Christ, then are you Elijah? So there will be a scripture here. And again, they would ask, are you Elijah for good reason? The Old Testament ends really this way. This is how the, the Old Testament ends. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great, awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So there, Elijah was one of the great prophets of the people of Israel. And they were holding on to this hope that Elijah would come before the great day of the Lord to, to change the hearts of the people. This is how powerful Elijah was in their life. In fact, you can go to the next scripture. Jesus was there with his disciples, and they were talking to him. And so the G, this is the disciples of Jesus Christ speaking to Jesus. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Jesus answered them, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. So here we have a conversation with Jesus and his disciples, and Jesus seems to indicate that, actually, he was talking about Elijah, but he was talking about John the Baptist. And then another, this is like a little factoid that you could put in your pocket and carry for later, but um, often people wonder, okay, why did John the Baptist, why was he clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locust and honey? So you can see these two scriptures next to each other. One from the Gospel of Mark, 
Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and honey. I love wild honey. I don't know about locusts. (laughs) But um, there's a lot in there that kind of like, we don't have time to go into it all, but there's some uh, symbolism there. But Elijah is described the same way in 2 Kings 1.18. He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. So even John the Baptist resembled Elijah. But he says, no, I'm not Elijah. I think we have um, a really beautiful insight in the Gospel of Luke. You can go back there and read it later, but I'll just point to this next verse. In the Gospel of Luke, Uh, John the Baptist's father, um, who also was a priest. So John the Baptist, uh, his own father was a priest. An angel of the Lord came to Zechariah, and the angel of the Lord said this about John the Baptist to his own father. And it's a really cool story. You can read it later. But this verse says, he will go before him, So the he is John the Baptist. John the Baptist will go before him, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This was prophesied over John the Baptist's life. So is John the Baptist Elijah or not? It's, it's a good question. I, I like that last verse because it says that he will go in, in the power and the spirit of Elijah. So I think it is safe to say that John the Baptist fulfilled uh, what the ministry of Elijah was to come. And there's several places in Scripture that point to this. But yet John the Baptist himself, was either he didn't know that he fulfilled this, or he, more likely, I think, he was just saying, I'm not Elijah. So they say, are you the prophet? In Deuteronomy 18, Moses was one of the other greatest prophets of the Jewish people. We know this, a lot of us. And Moses was speaking to the people of God in Deuteronomy 18, and it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to, to him you shall listen. So they said, when they said, are you the prophet? Um, they had done a good job sort of protecting this idea that before the Messiah would come the prophet, one like Moses. And what does John the Baptist say? He says, No. I'm not the prophet. So then they say, okay, well, we need an answer. We need to go back to Jerusalem and tell, um, tell who we're working with. We need to tell them who you are. We need an answer because you're disrupting things over here, down by Bethany on the, on the Jordan River. You're creating a ruckus, and we need a good answer for who you are. And, and he says, okay. You want to know who I am? I'm a voice. I'm a voice in the wilderness. Make straight 
the path of the Lord, make straight the way of the Lord. And he was pointing them to Isaiah, which is another great prophet of, of this people. And we, we are going to turn back there. It will also be on your screen, so you don't have to turn back, but we're going to be um, just back in Isaiah just for a couple minutes reading this because it's so powerful. John was pointing them to, not to himself, but to the Messiah. That's the whole point. So this is Isaiah 40. And just listen to this beautiful scripture. This is, this is pre-Jesus, this in the sense of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, this is before um, anyone knew what it would exactly look like for Christ to come in the flesh. So it was described um, way before that. But listen to the coming of the Lord described in this hopefulness that would come. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken." What's described here is just a flattening of everything. The mountains, flat. The valleys, lifted up. Everything will be made clear and smooth. And it will be obvious for those who have eyes for it. If they would just look upon um, God. This is Yahweh, God, coming. And all flesh will set their eyes on the coming one. And it goes on. It's, it's worth reading. You can um, skip down to verse 9. They say, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. It's a beautiful picture of the ministry of the Messiah. So there's a checklist that the people are going through. Okay, I have a, a box. This box has a, a Messiah, an Elijah, a prophet, 
and I just need to figure out which one this is so that then I can continue to know that I have everything under control and I can go back to the authorities and we can continue to think that we have all the understanding. And yet, John the Baptist, for whatever reason, seems very unwilling to just play um, that way with the surrounding people. And this is one of the big themes of the gospel. We saw it last week, that he came to his own people, but his own people didn't receive him. And this will be um, the storyline that Christ actually lives. He comes to his own people, and um, as a whole, there's confusion on who Jesus is as the Messiah. But particularly... Um, John the Baptist was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. All the disciples were Jewish. There is within the Jewish people um, a deep understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. It's just that as a, as a group, um, there was, and, and it's hard to describe right now, but he came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. But to all who do receive him, he he gives the right to become God's children. And I think the best way to understand that is that it's it's, it's it's not a funnel that's saying like, okay, this is only for a very small, particular person. No, the ministry of Christ is for everyone. He came to everyone, but it does require um, an ability to see him, to open your eyes to who Christ is. And then they start to ask him about his baptism. The baptism that John did was a baptism of repentance. To repent is to, to change your mind, to be renewed in your mind, to turn away from kind of an old way of thinking or the evil um, practices in your life and to turn toward God, and to have your eyes opened. And he says, that's the baptism I do. It's a baptism of preparedness. I am preparing the way for the coming Messiah. And then in verse 29, he, he gets to really his punchline. I mean, <laughs> after this, he's like, all right, I'm, I'm done. Actually, he's, if you know the rest of the story, it does not end well for John the Baptist. A witness, the word witness actually means martyr. And John the Baptist, um, as he's protecting uh, and helping the people prepare for the Messiah, uh, he ends up getting beheaded like shortly after this. So, but here, very, very early, chapter one, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then, that's it, exclamation. There's an exclamation in my Bible. And, and then he, he goes and he describes how the Holy Spirit descended upon Christ at his baptism. This uh, telling is pertaining to, to Jesus' baptism. And if you go into the other Gospels, you'll see a different perspective. 
But there we have the Spirit of God descend upon Christ. And John's, John the Baptist's perspective is, is this. Um, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he, he identifies Jesus as the Son of God. And this is, uh, at this point, he, he just continues to point people to Christ. Really, you can find it in almost anything he says. Um, they ask him, well, by what authority do you baptize? He says, I baptize with water. Oh, but there's one among you who you don't even know. The Messiah is standing among you, and you don't even know. He, he actually deflects any question that goes to him or his glory or his, his role, and he deflects it to Christ, the Messiah. That's what he is. He, his whole life is that way. In, in a couple chapters, he'll be talking and and they'll say, you know, they'll just ask him again what's going on. And he says, look, I'm not the bride, bridegroom. There's a bridegroom and a bride. I'm a friend of the bridegroom. I'm, at the, I'm, I'm like a friend at the wedding. And that's where he says that, that famous line, I must decrease and he must increase. He's talking about Christ. And that's actually what he does. So... I think John the Baptist is, is a great um, picture for us of humility, but to sort of get caught up in his identity actually is to miss the whole point entirely, which is he, all he is is a voice that points out the Messiah. So as we close today, um, I hope that that challenges you in your own life. And the thing that stood out to me in this passage is that many people come to Christ and they have a checklist. And they go through their checklist. Okay, he does this for me, or he is that, or he isn't that. Why did he do that? That makes no sense to me. Okay, that, he did not check that box because I wanted that box checked. And why would he do that? that why, would, why would that happen? And I'm talking about anything in life that we will attribute to something that Christ, we thought he should have done this or he should have done that. And, and we, we go through our checklists and then when um, these boxes that we have, when they can't get checked or we, somehow Jesus doesn't fit in that box, then we say, okay. So there were people around Jesus who, who continued to close their eyes, and there were people around Jesus that had their eyes opened. So a good way to think about it is I have three questions that are more like application questions that I think would be good to bring this to this story. The first is, what is the story saying? That's mostly what I talked about this morning. What is the story saying? There's a forerunner. He's a voice. He's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah. He's not the light. He's a witness. And he's given testimony. The next question is, where am I in the story? Where are you 
in the story. John the Baptist actually did come to prepare the way of Christ. He actually did come to um, see people's hearts oriented to the Messiah. Some were and some weren't. So where am I in the story? And then the third question is, how does the story change how I see those around me? So what is the story saying? Where am I in the story? And how does the story change how I see those around me? So as you approach the Lord in your own life and you think about him, in what ways are you closing your eyes or um, maybe you're not open to what he's doing right now in your life? If you say something like they said, we need to give an answer to those above us or whatever. Or if you are struggling with the authority of who Christ is and you continue to question it, there was this question of John the Baptist's authority, which ultimately would have then gone on to question Christ's authority. In fact, um, I already mentioned it, but they missed God. He was standing in their midst. The Word who was God uh, became flesh and dwelt among them, And still here, he says, among you stands one you do not know. The Messiah, the Christ, was standing among them, and they didn't know it. We often, I think when I place myself in the story, I'm like, well, I know I would have recognized the Messiah. (laughs) I don't know about those people, but I would have definitely recognized the Messiah. And I say that more and more cautiously as I go because um, there's a sense that, that there, there's, there's a, an underlying pride in that statement. And in fact, their loyalty to the law and to the prescription of what was being set out was actually what caused a lack of openness to God and his ways. So that's the closed eye the open eye is, is to open your eyes to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I bet you didn't know it said that. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, the, the phrase, the Lamb of God, that could be a separate sermon in its own right, um, but John is likely pointing to the Passover lamb that John would talk about in John 19. Jesus was this Passover lamb. The lamb led to the slaughter that didn't open his his mouth, but became a sacrifice for us. Um, But the open eye has an expectation to see God working, an ability and a willingness to see one's own brokenness and need. And also an openness to to repent 
to change, to have your mind continue to be changed by God and what he's doing in and around us. And his word, the more you look at it, the more clear it is. It's just a matter of do we continue to allow the word of God to shape everything we're doing. And then the open eye has to enter in. This actually was a real baptism. People got wet. And it was a a baptism of preparation. In fact, that's why John makes the distinction that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was, um, Jesus ushered in the Holy Spirit for the church. But John the Baptist, again, he, he just stayed in his lane. He was preparing the way. And lastly, there's this humility that I love in the life of John the Baptist, which is something to um, look to. As you live your own life, we are not forerunners of Christ the same way that John the Baptist was, and yet we can certainly play that role in people's lives. We can certainly be um, a forerunner for them as they come to Jesus and the Messiah. So I think we think of like evangelism as transactional. But if we think of the way that John the Baptist did it, he didn't give the exact answers everyone was looking for. He was very um, clear, and yet he challenged and pushed people along the way. So he's a great example for us as we um, go and uh, live our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, our Messiah, Savior. Um, That's the first thing. But then there's also this understanding that we are forerunners and tellers of who Christ is. So I want to just invite you to bow your heads. We'll have a closing prayer. And we'll just close with a chorus that we sang earlier. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come to your word and to be shaped and changed by it. Lord, I pray for each person here. God, I pray that they would um, be able to discern from your word exactly what it is that they need to mull over this week. And uh, Lord, just thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of John the Baptist who um, was so good at um, just the, the audible voice of saying, I must decrease and he must increase. So thank you for his example. Um, Thank you that he did clearly point out the Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And would each one of us have the willingness to come toward Christ as our own Messiah, our own Savior. And Lord, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.